Hey everyone, welcome back to Tiered Apologetics. Pumped to join us today to have Michael Jones from Inspiring Philosophy. We're talking about virtue ethics and the biblical basis of virue ethics and things like that. So Mike, Michael, thanks for joining me. How are you doing? Good, how are you doing? Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm doing good. So to start things off, we're going to be talking about virtue ethics and why we might want to compare it to other views and why it might be preferred over other views. So do you have anything you want to say about like who you are and what got you interested in topics like this? Yeah, I've always been very interested in ethics. Uh, started off getting very interested in meta-ethics, moral ontology. Uh, and then I was getting more interested in virtue ethics specifically because it's a form of normative ethics. And for those who don't know, normative ethics is the, is the field that studies on what we ought to do, how we should live our lives, what is the good, and how do we uh, act out the good or live the good. So there are different views on that. Uh, so there is views like consequentialism. There's various forms of consequentialism that say, well, good is based on consequences. Like, for example, maybe it's about bringing happiness to the greatest number of people. Whatever does that is the good. Others, like deontologists, say, well, no, maybe good is more about there are these certain universal moral laws we have to follow. And we need to follow these laws regardless of what the consequences are. Uh, and so I've always been interested in ethics, but those were like the two main camps for the longest time. And then, of course, there's virtue ethics. And I've always felt that consequentialist views and deontologist views were incomplete. Uh, and that's why I hold to virtue ethics now. Mm -hmm. So to start things off, Michael, like, what is virtue ethics? Okay, yeah. So virtue ethics, I described the other two views. Uh, virtue ethics is a different view when it comes to ethics, normative ethics. It's, it's the idea that our focus needs to be on building a virtuous character. Uh, it's not just about actions. So as I mentioned, deontology and consequentialism focus primarily on what we ought to do. Virtue ethics says that's important, but it's not all that ethics is. There's more to ethics. It's, it tries to give a more encompassing view. So we need to focus on building a virtuous character, obtaining what the virtues are, living them out, and then good and moral, proper, right actions will flow from that. So uh, we need to focus on where our emotions are. Uh, how our character is, what we're thinking, how we're building our lives. Uh, are we living a flourishing life or not? We just can't focus on actions. That's a very important part. That's an, an extremely important part of ethics, but it's not all that ethics is. There's more to ethics. Uh, so I can give an analogy if it will help. Uh, analogy I use in my video. So let's say you get a uh, take into some, you're in South America and you're tied up with a bunch of natives there. The soldiers realize you're actually from America, so they untie you and they go, all right, listen, since you're from America, we'll give you this ultimatum. You kill one of these natives uh, and we'll let the other 19 go. Now, virtue ethicists would say the right action to do is to, to kill, unfortunately, to kill one of these natives so that 19 souls go on and live. Because if you don't, let the, the bad option is they're going to kill all 20. So the, the right action... I think the intuitive response is, yeah, you, you kill one and go on. But if all that ethics is, is about actions, you shouldn't feel remorse. You shouldn't feel regret. You shouldn't feel bad about the situation because you perform the right action. But that doesn't seem like it's intuitively right. Uh, you should feel sadness about this circumstance you're in. You should be affected by it. And so the proper action is to, yeah, of course, go out, to go through with the plan. But you should also see how that's going to affect your character. You should feel sadness and remorse for the situation. Uh, so that in, suggests that ethics is more than just actions. Uh, it implies building up an entire character of who we are as humans. 
Mm -hmm. I like this idea of thinking like ethics is more than action. So if you're going to build a case, Michael, for virtue ethics, like before we get into like the biblical warrant or things like that, like from a philosophical lens, what, what kind of case would you make to argue for like virtue ethics over other views? Well, I would argue from what I, I kind of was building on there that, you know, ethics is more than just actions. I don't think deontology and consequentialist views are entirely wrong. I think they're capturing part of ethics, uh, but they're not capturing the full thing. They want to try to reduce as in a lot of ways, they may push back on this, but I would say they, they try to reduce ethics to very simplistic principles. You know, always do something good if it's going to produce a good consequence or always follow certain moral laws. But there's always cases where we can say, well, what if you're in this type of scenario? For example, against deontology, you could say that it, uh, what's, let's say there is, um, you're a sheriff in a town and there's a murder that happened and everyone thinks it's Joe. Now, you know Joe didn't commit the murder. Uh, you know it would be wrong to throw him in jail. But let's say Joe wants to be thrown in jail. Let's say he's a masochist or something. It would make all the town folk happy. It would make, uh, it would make uh, everyone pr pretty much happy to do this. I'm sorry, this is actually against consequentialism, so my bad. But it does still seems like it's morally wrong to do that regardless of the consequences. Uh, it still seems like it'd be wrong to do, to do that kind of thing. So it doesn't seem like so we can find cases like that where it doesn't seem like the other views of ethics really capture uh, the fullness of how to live a virtuous life. There's always going to be uh, examples we can show the sort of that against the ontology. Uh, they say it's always wrong to do certain things. Uh, so famous example given against Immanuel Kant was, let's say, an axe murderer shows up at your house and so politely ask, where is your where is your family so we can go murder them? The the. I think the virtuous thing in that case is to lie to him, to get rid of him, to send him somewhere off. You don't want to, you know, not lie. You don't want to tell him the truth because that would be abating a murderer. It would be helping a murderer. You don't want to mm -hmm. do that kind of thing. Uh, you don't want to be silent because he may try to kill you. The virtuous thing in that case seems to be to try to lie to him to get rid of him, to send him in the opposite direction. So I think we can always find cases where... Uh, you can find where it doesn't really seem like these simple principles, these simple views of normative ethics can apply. Uh, in truth, ethics is messy. Uh, life is messy. There's always going to be certain times where it's going to be hard to make it the right decision. So we need a more well-rounded theory. And so what virtue ethics does is it tries to give us that. It says our aim needs to be focused on building certain virtues, like being loving, patient, kind, uh, being courageous is what one of the things Aristotle brought up. Uh, these kind of things that we need to exemplify. And if we can figure out what those are, then we will have the, uh, we'll have the toolkit to tackle any situation in life. So it doesn't matter what situation it is. We'll know that we need to be courageous and how to live it out. We'll know how to be virtuous, live it out, loving, live it out. So we need to focus on what the virtues are, then start living according to those virtues. And that's going to give us much better guidance in how to go through life. It's going to give us the practical wisdom that we need Versus just trying to apply a principle that we get from consequentialism or deontology always. It seems like we can always find cases where that type of uh, reasoning will falter. But with virtue ethics, it doesn't do that kind of thing. It just says try to focus on what it is to be virtuous. Live through that. And you're going to come to situations where it's going to be hard to make the right decision. But try your best. Try to follow the virtues. Figure out what would be the most virtuous thing to do in that situation. And then go for it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I think that's great, Michael. And I like the idea of thinking about 
that we should really just like preserve, pursue virtue because it's like that toolkit that's going to help us in any situation where if we are like courageous or kind or things like this, it's going to really help us in any scenario that can be brought up. Like you talked about the scenario, the, like the murder and things like that. So we have these two other views, Michael, that you talked about consequentialism and deontology. So do you want to talk about maybe like starting with deontology, like why you think it might be like my, why it might fall short compared to other views like uh, virtue ethics? Well, I kind of already did. I think it's just sort of like defining principles that we expect to be followed. Another mm -hmm. issue I see with it is it's, it, it, it doesn't really place an emphasis on um, doing good things for the right reasons. It just, it's more about focusing on doing good things. There's a problem with deontology is sometimes we can fetishize the, the moral laws. I'm doing the good because it's the moral and right thing to do. But we should also be doing the good things because it's helping people. It's because it's like, you know, we should be loving people because we want to love people in of itself. We should not be loving people because a moral law told us to. So it seems to disconnect us from our relationships with other people. We should really be focusing on uh, a whole well-rounded view of ethics. Yes, it's good to do moral things, but we should do good moral things because we want to help people. We want to show that we're loving people. We want to care about them. We don't want to just reduce everything to a role. I'm doing this because it's the right thing to do. It's the role. It's the right thing to do. It's the role I must follow. That tends to make us focus a more inward on ourselves. I'm doing it because it's the, uh, excuse me, I'm doing it because it's the right thing to do, which is good, but it's not a full picture of ethics. We should be doing the good thing because it's the right thing to do and because we want to love and help other people. So again, as I said, I think deontology captures a part of ethics, but not the full uh, theory of, or not the fullness of what ethics is. Mm -hmm. So that would be an issue I'd bring up as well. Mm -hmm. Do you have anything else you want to bring up with regards to like consequentialism, or do you think you kind of have that covered here? Well, I mean, I think consequentialism is, is again, it, it, we need to think about the consequences of our actions and what they're going, what they're going to bring them up, bring, or, or what's going to happen. We don't want to do a bunch of things because we think we're following certain laws if it's going to cause all sorts of pain and misery. So I think, again, they're capturing another good, important aspect of ethics. But I just don't think it fully captures all of ethics. Uh, mm -hmm. We could think of times where we're going to do things and it could make people happy. Uh, but it may not be the right proper thing to do. I also think a problem with consequentialism is that it tends to make everything else a utility. Why are you doing uh, something good? Well, because it's going to bring happiness or pleasure or well-being to people. But we can think of things like like virtues that are like um, love, patience, kindness, good in and of themselves. They're not just good because they're going to provide a utility. Yes, they do provide a utility, but we can say they're good uh, just for what they are. I heard the analogy of comparing it to a garden. Uh, we would say like, we would see a beautiful garden, but you wouldn't say the, the azaleas are there just because they make the daffodils look better. Mm -hmm. Or we wouldn't say, you know, the fountain is just there because it makes uh, uh, the flowers look better. You can say they look good in and of themselves. They have aesthetic beauty in and of themselves, even though they also complement other aspects of the garden. Likewise, we can say the virtues are good uh, in and of themselves, even though they also maximize utility or they bring good consequences as well it just seems inadequate to say they're only good because of the consequences they bring mm -hmm. so that, that's a problem i would see with it again it's it's they're right but it's not a full view of ethics i don't want to just say well the reason why a virtue is good is because it, it has a good consequence that it can bring about that doesn't seem like a full view of ethics i think i can say virtues like loving patience peace kindness are good in and of themselves regardless of the consequences they bring I like what you're saying, Michael, because it seems like to me with virtue ethics, you have the advantage of like, we always like to 
tend to say it's a good thing to like, even if there's bad consequences to make a good action, then it seems like compared to like consequentialism in like uh, the ontology, virtue ethics has a big advantage here because it's like, it, it explains like why we think these things are good, like to do hard things, even if they lead to bad consequences, because like they're good things to do. It's good to have virtues and honesty and things like that. So I think that's another great um, mm-hmm. reason to support virtue ethics. So maybe then, Michael, what what do you think like a Christian view of virtue ethics should look like? I think some people might be like, well, virtue ethics sounds nice, but like is it really like a Christian idea? Um, so in your <laughs> view, like what does a Christian view of virtue ethics look like? So yeah, I think very much the New Testament teaches a form of, of virtue ethics. I think it's teaching its own uh, a form of it, uh, very different from the Aristotelian version. But in places like Galatians five, uh, Paul makes himself aware that he makes it aware that he's basically aware of Aristotle and quoting him at some point. So when he says against such things, there is no law, uh, Ben Witherington notes, that's a direct quote from Aristotle's politics. Uh, mm-hmm. So he's very much in line with teaching the same kind of concepts that we see in Aristotelian ethics, same in places like Romans 2.15. Uh, he's very much quoting Aristotle there as well. So I think very much the New Testament is teaching its own form of virtue ethics. I mean, it says, you know, the fruit of the spirits, love, joy, patience, peace, kindness. It says, you know, Whatever is good, whatever is holy, think of these things and do these them. So Paul in First Corinthians says, uh, "You've heard, you know, you know, you have told me all is lawful." Now he doesn't contradict him. He says, "But not all is helpful. Helpful for what? Well, building up a good virtuous character, living a good Christian life, and imitating Christ." Virtue ethicists also place a strong emphasis on imitation. Uh, what we're supposed to do is imitate virtuous teachers, the fromenots. The, those, these are the, the people that have sort of mastered virtue, and we're supposed to learn to imitate them. Well, mm-hmm. what does the New Testament say? We're supposed to imitate Christ. Uh, we're supposed to imitate, Paul, or Jesus says, imitate the good Samaritan from his parable. It's very much about this idea uh, that we are supposed to imitate Jesus uh, and imitate, you know. Uh, he came to earth to live the perfect life to show us how to live. Uh, so that's very much that we're supposed to follow in his footsteps. If the New Testament was teaching deontology. It just could just give us a moral treatise. It could hand down from heavens and we just could follow that. Instead, it sends the son of God who embodies virtue, who embodies the perfect life. And we're supposed to imitate him and follow after him. That's very much in line with a virtue ethical framework in that we can't learn ethics through for, just from the armchair, just from thinking about certain actions. We have to go out and imitate it. We have to go out and learn it, to experience it, to follow after the virtuous teachers. It's very much this idea we have to learn the practical wisdom of what it means to be virtuous. That's very that's very central to Christian Christian uh, ethics. Uh, imitate Christ. Find out what the virtues are. Love, joy, patience, peace, kindness. Exemplify them. Let them guide you. Because if you have those virtues, as Paul says in Galatians 5, against such things there is no law. In other things, you won't need law. You won't need law to tell you what to do because you will have the virtues and then they will, they will be the perfect guide for how to live a good moral life. You'll just have these virtues and then the good moral actions will just naturally flow from how you live. Mm. I like the point you made, Michael, about imitating Christ. Um, Cause we think about our job as Christians and it seems like to me, our biggest goal is to become like God, become like Christ um, to progress towards like trying to like eventually like the heavenly state where we'll be like morally sinless. So it seems like to me, like virtue ethics is a great way of looking at it because like it's increasing in virtue is one of our main goals in life to try to become more and more like Christ. I think that's really great. And it's the nail in the hammer because it's not focusing really on like consequences or like a strict law or something like that. It's trying to show like, hey, as Christians, this is what you're supposed to be doing in this life is becoming more and more like Christ in your character and how you live your daily life. Mm -hmm. 
Exactly. Yeah. It's very much this idea that we cannot, we're not going to have all the actions, but we should think when we're in action, what would Jesus do? <laughs> that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of yeah. the mentality that we should always be having. And so that's very much in line with virtue ethics. The New Testament does not teach deontology. It teaches a form of virtue ethics. Mm-hmm. Let's pause and imitate me as they imitate Christ. Like it seems pretty um, clear cut right there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think that's great. So what biblical warrant there? I mean, we kind of hinted at this, Michael, already, but like what kind of biblical warrant like would you use for the build the case for like a Christian virtue ethics? Yeah, so uh, let's let's go to, I could pull up a couple of verses here. Right? I already mentioned Galatians 5, for example. I think that's a... Um, uh, an, an important verse um, talks about uh, the Bible talks also a lot about loving people, love your enemies. Uh, you, you just can't follow certain laws uh, to love someone. To love someone means you have to know who they are. Uh, you have to um, uh, know what makes, what would be the loving way to, to treat them. For example, uh, the way I'm going to treat my wife is going to be different than how I'm going to treat my mother. Mm-hmm. father as well i have to know them personally to know how, the best way to love them uh, that's very very important uh yes idea with loving is being intimate with the person and that you understand who they are and what is the best thing for them so that kind of concept there is very much important there uh again they also we also see that uh that gives us lists of virtues like galatians 5 romans 5 3 to 5 1 corinthians 13 Col- colossians 3 12 to 17 first timothy 3 2 to 3 first timothy 4 7 8 james 3 17 to 18 second peter 5 second peter 1 5 to 8 these are lists of virtues we're supposed to exemplify uh and if we have them as paul says against such things there is no law uh elizabeth anscombe uh, who is a virtue ethicist said it would be a great improvement if instead of we talked about morally wrong one always named a genus such as untruthful, unchaste, unjust. We no longer, we should no longer ask whether doing something was wrong, passing directly from some description of an action to the notion. We should ask, was it unjust? Hmm. So she's basically saying that, you know, uh, if you're a virtue ethicist, you don't think about action. You think more about like if a genus of uh, this idea, like if, if am I living in a way that's untruthful or unjust and I, should I change that? Well, similarly, Paul says something very in first. First, sorry, Paul says something quite similar in Philippians four eight to nine. He says, "Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think on these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things." So it's about the same kind of. Uh, when I saw this quote in Anscombe, I immediately thought of the Philippians passage, and I'm like, this sounds very similar. It's almost like they're saying they're very similar ideas here. It's about mm. whatever is honorable, whatever is true, whatever is just. That's the way you should be thinking. Do those types of things. So it seems very much they're laying out this concept of virtue ethics. As I mentioned before, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, not all, all is lawful, but not all is helpful. Don't worry about law. Worry about what is actually going to li- be helpful. What is going to build the body of Christ up? What is going to help you come closer to God? to live a more virtuous life. Same kind of concept, it seems to be. Mm. Yeah, I think that's great, Michael. So I'm wondering then, like, for Christians, how does virtue ethics play out in, like, our everyday life? Like, what should we, like, we have this theory of virtue ethics um, from which a Christian perspective can seem really good. It's like, what in our everyday life, like, as a Christian, like you, Michael, how does this play out? Well, I think I, I talked about a little bit here. It's like, remember the old phrase, what would Jesus do? We always mm. tend to say, like, we need to imitate Jesus in whatever situation we're in. If we are uh, following Christ, how do we live it out? Paul also says, for all the laws summed up in that I shall love thy neighbors thyself. Okay, how do you do that? Well, you got to go out and live 
a good life. You have to learn about people. You have to learn what would be a loving way to treat them. Uh, you have to learn about what makes them tick, uh, what they need, what they desire, how you can help them the most. Uh, that very much is in line with uh, walking in a, a, a virtue ethical lifestyle in line with Christian doctrines. So you have to, um, when you're going out and you're dealing with certain actions, think about what would Jesus do? Think about what would be the loving thing to do? It's going to be different for every person. Uh, you know, like it, for example, it might be the most loving thing to do to help an old lady cross the street. But if I saw a bodybuilder there, I don't, that would not be loving for me to help him cross the street. It might be insulting to him because he's obviously a well-bodied, able individual. It mm -hmm. would be a waste of his time and my time. It would not be the loving thing to do. But if it's an old lady or someone who's handicapped, it might be the loving thing to do. You got to think about it like that. Uh, mm -hmm. You also have to think about, you know, like who you are. That's another important part of ethics that people tend to forget. Who are you? Uh, we, we tend to push this idea that like the, the most optimal Christian life is being a missionary. But I'll tell you what, my wife could not be a missionary. She's an introvert. She'd be miserable like that. And she wouldn't really help a lot of people because she would be miserable. You got to think about who you are, how you're designed, what makes you tick and where you can best fit. You know, I, I, I'm only like five, eight. I probably wouldn't be a, the best, you know, like basketball player. Mm. I think it's pretty clear as I'm not that tall. Uh, I got to deal with my own limitations, physical limitations and my mental limitations as well. Find out what career would be best for me. Uh, same with you, same with my wife, same with everyone. Not everyone is meant to be a missionary. Not everyone is meant to be a, a basketball player. We were told as kids, you can be anything you want. Not entirely true. And I think we all know that. Some people are introverted. Some people are extroverted. Some people are good at cooking. Some people are not. Think about where, what you're good at, where you find joy in life, what, where you think you can flourish in life and go out and try to live and serve the body of Christ in that way. We don't need everyone to be missionaries. Sometimes we need people to have jobs who can earn a living so they can support missionaries, who can donate to ministries like mine or others as well. We don't need everyone to be in ministry. So that I feel like that's a misconception we've been push, pushing in the church. Sometimes we need producers, people that are going to make the money that can help support other people. Sometimes we need people at home that are just going to cook meals, that can give it to people who are going to be best serving like with the homeless or something. We need people behind the scenes and we need people in front of the scenes. We don't need everyone doing the exact same thing. So I think we have sort of put this emphasis in the church that missionary life is perfect. We all need to be missionaries. And that's not true. That, that's nowhere said in the Bible. Some people are called for that and some of us are called to support them or help in other ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's great, Michael. And one of the things I thought about as you're talking is like, I've always been like that for a few years, I've heard like this saying, like, do the next right thing. And like in our own lives, I think that's a super helpful way of looking at it. It's just like whenever like I access this podcast and anything like that, like just look for the next right thing to do with my life. And obviously you can't like make these massive changes usually in like 10 seconds. But like when you do that, I think you can slowly and slowly grow in character. And like you said, it doesn't necessarily lead to you being a missionary. Like there's lots of careers um, that are all around the world that you can do that are super important that aren't just like being a missionary or pastor or things like that. And obviously neither of us are trying to negate the importance of those things. Um, but it is like it, for all of us, like as a Christian community, like we're all called to different areas. And if we can live out a very virtuous life, there's something really good about that and really great about the future that can kind of be paved if we all mm -hmm. just try to do the yeah. next right thing. Mm -hmm. I also want to say this does not imply relativism. This doesn't mean like literally everything goes. Uh, yeah. There are still parameters here. Like, you know, it's, it's always going to be wrong to torture, to rape, to murder. Uh, there's no instances where the virtues could make those actions good. 
You could say lying, perhaps, like lying to Nazis if you have Jews hiding in your basement. Yes, you should lie to them because they're evil, and you don't want to them to get a hold of the Jews so they murder them. So that, that should be obvious. So there are instances where uh, it, sh it should be clear that uh, sometimes it, uh, the, act, the circumstances will determine the rightness of the action, but there are some actions that no circumstances could ever make right, like murder, rape, those kinds of things. They're always going to be wrong regardless of the circumstances. So this does not apply relativism. It, it says that circumstances will help you define the objective action to take. An example I can use is right now there's an objective way. There would be the, there's an objective fastest route to get across town, depending on the lights, depending on traffic, construction. That can change. Like let's say if I leave five minutes uh, from now versus right now, based on the lights that are going to be out there, there might be a more objective fastest way based on just nearly five minutes, based on the timing of lights. But there still is an objective fastest way, even though the circumstances have changed. The circumstances help you define which is the objective right thing to do. They don't make everything relative. Mm, yeah, I think that's great. So anything else, Michael, you want to say before we start to wrap up here? No, I think uh, if you want to know more, I have a couple of videos on my channel where I talk about the case for virtue ethics and Christian virtue ethics. You can see those videos if you want to know more. Um, I think this is a very deep, complicated subject. Um, I'm sure some deontologists may have some objections. They can always message me if they have them and we can talk about them. Uh, but I think, I, I hope people will explore virtue ethics more and what it means and how they can live that kind of out in their life. Because uh, I think right now in the church, it's very much dominated by the ethics of Kant and deontology. And so when I bring up these kinds of things, like are there circumstances where it's okay to lie? I get some uh, conservative Christians go, no, it's always wrong regardless. And I'm like, well, hold on. <laughs> What about in this circumstance or that circumstance? And then they, you see them start to, you know, start to sweat a little bit because they realize their intuition is fighting their concept that it's always wrong to lie. And I think there are times where it is virtuous to lie, uh, like if you're going to protect someone. And I think we need to start thinking about that. Think about actions. Think about the rightness of actions. Think about what would be the virtuous thing to do. And if you could live like that, you, I, I feel like we're had of a much better. We'll have a much more a much more well-rounded view of ethics and how to live a flourishing life instead of always trying to follow rules that we know we cannot always follow. And that circumstances sometimes are going to change those rules. Mm. Yeah, that's well said. Great. So Michael, as we wrap up, anything you want to share with regards to like, I know you see you're about it, so I'm not trying to push you too much, but like where you're heading in the future with like future projects or things like that, what's, what's going on with you as we move on through 2022? So I'm going to start, I'm going to finish up my series on the evidence for the Exodus this month. I'm also doing a series on the documentary hypothesis, and I'm going to challenge that view, argue that the Pentateuch is not divided into four different sources. Uh, I'm going to argue that it has a lot more unity. Um, and then I'm going to hopefully get into some uh, arguments, stuff on Christian eschatology, and argue that Jesus did not predict the end of the world in his lifetime. Mm, super pumped. And you're also like taking TikTok Christianity by storm at the same time, right? Yeah, I'm on TikTok now. I'm growing on there. Uh, so follow me on TikTok. I do more comical stuff on there. Well, right on, Michael, thank you so much for joining me. Your YouTube channel is added in the description, and thank you so much. Really appreciate it. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in here. Really appreciate you and your support of the channel. Um, if you're new here, always encourage you to subscribe, leave a like, all that fun stuff. And if you value our content, um, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com. So you can apologize. Little as a dollar a month, your support means a lot. But that's it for today, and God bless. We'll see you next time. <laughs>